Folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Boker podcast. This is the forums edition of the show. We do the chats edition, talking to luminaries in the world of poker. And then we also get together once a week and talk about just strat, just some strat tat, strat chat, baby, here on the forums edition of the Rec Boker podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. I have the best job in the world because I get to hang out here with all these amazing Wrecking Crew members and just talk poker every week. Uh, if you don't know what's going on at Wreck Poker, we're a largely volunteer-based organization. Most of what we do here is free, so we have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. And we also uh, really rely on the support of our premium members. So if you're considering uh, getting more involved with Wreck Poker, A, Go get a free account. All you got to do is swing over to rec.poker and sign up for a free community account. It takes an email address and it takes a smile and we insist on both, but that's all it takes. Uh, if you want to go premium, your first month is only $5. Try our, our premium package. Uh, there's so many great ways to get involved with our uh, premium learning material, training videos, social events, um, discounts on amazing stuff at other sites. Uh, and it's really the lifeblood of what we do here. Even if you never visit us uh, a single learning session, it's a great way to just say, hey, gang, thanks for doing what you're doing. And it's a great way to show your support for Rec Poker. So, but enough about Rec Poker, enough about me. Uh, like I said, I'm the host, Jim Reed, but it's just because they put the mic in front of my face here on Mondays. Really, it's a whole wrecking crew that makes the magic happen here at Rec Poker. And if you want to find out more about me and the rest of the wrecking crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here, right now. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I'm John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Pat Vat 33 in the home game and Pat Vat or Pat Vat 33, most other places. I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman 50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. I'm on Twitter at, at Taylor underscore Moss and Gopher Boy TJM in the Rec Poker home game. And if you're listening to this uh, right when it comes out live, it is Tuesday, March 28th. And if you like Taylor Moss, you're going to love the finale for Marek Madness, which is right around the corner. I mean, I'm just going to say, if you're listening to this live, you've got two days on Thursday, March 30th is going to be the finale where we get all the way down to one Marek Madness winner. There's going to be a fun guest in the booth. There's going to be a best two out of three match between two titans of the heads up ladder bracket that we've been working on here all month. And it's all thanks to Taylor Moss who takes this entire project on his shoulders every year. Um, so a little golf clap for Taylor. Thank you, Taylor, so much. It's very impressive what you do here. And your legion of fans um, should know that they can go to rec.poker slash crew and see a nice big smiling Taylor Moss photo there and click on it and learn all sorts of things about Taylor. Isn't that right, Taylor? Yeah, and uh, you can get to that. Uh, we stream it live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash recpoker. Uh, it's Thursday nights. Um, we do it all Thursdays in March, uh, starting at 8 PM central. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, it's always great to see this go on there, but, uh, tune in, uh, we always do giveaways, uh, during there. Um, so come in, join the chat and, uh, hopefully I'll see you then. 
And if you're listening to this just a few days too late to join in this year, we have a series of qualifying matches um, throughout the rest of the year. You can win your own seat in Marek Madness 2024. Uh, go to rec.poker home games, uh, home game to find out more details about that. So we are going to, like we do every Monday night, we are going to take a post from the Rec Poker forums and talk about it here on the air. So the forums are free. You don't need to be a premium member to post. And so I encourage you, if you're enjoying the show, we're going to put a link to the forum post in the uh, show notes here. But check out the forums. Come post a a question of your own or respond to someone else's and uh, join the group. I think uh, the members that I talk to say that the interaction uh, that they get in the forums is something that really helps them wrestle with some of the concepts that they're trying to learn in their own poker journey here. Sharing that information with other people, asking questions, answering questions, it really uh, primes your mind to engage with the material more actively, which is a key to successful study. So this is a post by Marcel uh, Dusik. I've oh, I've spoken to Marcel a couple times. I'm guessing it's Dusik. It might be Dusik. Uh, but Marcel has posted in the forum several times. Uh, he's a fun follow on Twitter, too. And um, Marcel has a specific question here about streets of value. So this is going to be a kind of a different episode. We're going to talk more about the concept of streets of value, how we approach streets of value. What do streets of value even mean, you're asking? Okay, great question. So let's start there. So in No Limit Texas Hold'em, there is uh, the pre-flop action. And then there's the flop, the turn, and the river. So they're they're each called streets. And for every poker variant, um, the rounds of betting, if we're going to just stick to post-flop here, are typically referred to as streets. So um, in No Limit Hold'em, and gang, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, pre-flop would... Does pre-flop count as a street in No Limit Hold'em? Is that first street? No. So it's all post-flop for here. So the flop is first street, the turn is second street, the river is third street. And that's kind of a, a lingo that pervades the uh, poker world. Oh, Rob, you're shaking your head. You're muted, but I want you to unmute and please clarify for us. Isn't the river fourth street? So then preflop must be first. No, turn is fourth street, river is fifth street. Uh, so that's it, they, thought, yeah. they call it it has nothing to do with like what order it is, but like what cards are out there. So how many cards uh, you'll are on hear the, it on the you'll board. hear it called Fourth Street because the fourth card is coming out there, and Fifth Street because the fifth card is coming out there. Right. Um, it's just uh, how they labeled it, but like just their streets, and then they get labeled because of how many cards are out there. So three streets of value would mean you got value on third, fourth, and fifth street. Correct. Yes. And um, so, you know, poker originated with a lot of different varieties of stud and draw poker. And I think one of the ways that they tried to sort of have a common language for this was different streets related to the number of cards that go. I'm learning something already today. I love this freaking job. This is great. So um, third, the flop is third street. The turn is fourth street and the river is fifth street. Uh, So there you go. So once you get post-flop, the, the question that we're going to be asking ourselves today is, out of a possible three streets of value, how many streets of value is our hand worth? Now, you might think um, the least favorite of streets, yes. 
positively Fifth Street, says Chris, because he has a soft spot for Fifth uh, Street, and Taylor is re- responding in kind here in the chat. It's a famous book. Everyone knows that book, right? Don't you know the book, Positively Fifth Street? It's a, like a very famous poker book. You're just not allowed to have nice things here, Chris. Um, not when Taylor's around. We're just going to get involved and uh, lean on you, I'm afraid. That's how that's how it goes. You know what you're getting into here when Taylor and Chris show up on the show together. So if we haven't gotten too <laughs> sidetracked already. Uh, so Marcel has this question. That said, and I'll just ask his question here. He says, one topic has come up multiple times when listening to the podcast is looking for one, two, or three streets of value. Has this line of strategy been explored in a learning video or as a standalone podcast subject in the past? If not, it would be very interesting uh, if the wrecking crew uh, would be talking more in depth about it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Ask and ye shall receive. That's one of the things that's great about our forums here. If you're not sure about something, just... Uh, Post it in there, and we will do our best to help explain. Even if our host, Jim Reed, doesn't always know exactly what he's talking about, we rely on the crew. That's why we have a wrecking crew here, so we can all kind of pick each other up. So in terms of Nolan Middle, typically the strongest hands are going to be hands that can get three streets of value. The medium strength hands can get two streets of value. The lesser strength, the lower strength hands can only get one street of value. And to make it really easy, just to make sure we're all talking about the same thing, we want to, I'm just going to talk about what a value bet is, because there's lots of reasons to bet. You can bet, you know, we won't get into it, betting for protection, betting to make worse hands call, better to make, uh, betting to make better hands fold. Um, value bets, it's very easy to tell if you're making a value bet or not. It's a bet that will be called by a second best hand. So it's a bet where the opponent has car has hands in their range that can call that you are beating. So when we talk about how many streets of value is a hand worth, our 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 own hand strength matters, but what also matters is are there other hands out there that our opponent can have that will call our bet but will still win? So the size of our bet matters because if we bet so big that our opponent is only continuing with the nuts, then we're actually not making a value bet, even if we have a a hand as strong as the second nuts in that case. Um, And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how the absolute value of our hand is one thing, but when you factor in the board texture and the action of our opponents, the relative value of our hand becomes more important when we are trying to assess our value targets and trying to assess how many streets of value we can get. So um, we're going to wander a little bit here in this conversation. We're going to find a few rabbit holes. But to anchor us, we're going to talk about just one flop and we're going to talk about some different hands and some different approaches and different factors that we might be considering um, when we're considering how many streets of value to get. So let's take a rainbow flop of 10, 8, 6. Okay. So there's no flush possible. There's a back door. There's three backdoor flush draws. And you there is a possible made straight. If someone had 9, 7, they would have flopped straight. Um, other than that, the strongest hands are going to be a set of 10s, a set of 8s, a set of 6s. And then after that, 
um, eight six, uh, ten six, and eight six. Those are the best two pair hands. Um, after that, it would be pocket aces, pocket kings, queens, jacks, um, and then down to one pair of hands like ten ace, ten king. And so you you can kind of start at the very top and kind of work your way down in a linear fashion, and you can sort of assess where is your hand strength in this relative uh, range of hand strength. So you are the imposition player. Uh, let's just say you've raised preflop and got called out of the blinds. Um, the board comes 10, 8, 6, rainbow, and they're checked to you. Now you have to decide, am I going to bet or not? So one of the things that you might consider in, if you're deciding whether to bet the flop or not is, is this a strong enough hand that I can get three streets of value from? Because if it is, you have to bet the flop because it's one of the three streets. So you're, if you can get three streets of value and you don't bet the flop, shame on you. Bad. Don't do that. Uh, because this, you can't get three streets of value without betting the flop on a three-street hand. Um, if it's a two-street hand, then you kind of have some options. You can check one any one of the three streets, the flop, the turn, or the river. And depending on what you're holding and what the board texture is and what you think your opponent might have, you might choose to check the flop to let them check uh, catch up a little bit. You might choose to bet the flop in the turn, but check the river because you're only getting value from their draws, stuff like that. So there's lots of different ways to play one, two street hands, but three street hands, the best hands, you're going to want to bet every street. That's kind of the, the definition of it. I feel like I've been talking a lot here so far, kind of setting the scene. Would anyone yeah. else like to jump in? Yeah, Taylor. I'll, I'll step in because um, I think uh, the general concept of what we're talking about here is like, what is our game plan? Which I'll say like, awesome, great. Like we should be thinking like, what is our game plan in a given hand? Uh, not just thinking, hey, we're on the flop here. I'm going to bet or I'm going to check. But thinking about like, how am I going to act in the future? And I, I think that's a really important concept and something that everyone should be thinking about. Um, but I responded back to this post and I was like, it's really tough to like, say like this is going to be a three street hand or a two street hand or a one street hand uh because so much depends on you know how the turn changes the dynamics of the hand how the river also changes that dynamic so it, it's good to have a general idea but you also have to be willing to adapt in certain spots so uh plus one for uh trying to have a game plan going through this uh but i would say don't like lock yourself into being like yep I've got nine, seven here, the best possible hand. I'm going to go for three streets of value because there's, there can be a lot that changes, uh, that would dictate how your hand strength goes. So say you have nine, seven and it's a 10, eight, six, you flop the straight. What if the turn is a nine and then the river is a Jack? Uh, well, your hand strength has gone down considerably because, uh, you know, there's bigger straights out there. Your nine kind of got counterfeited. So someone else could have a straight in those different potentials. Uh, or, you know, the board can pair and sets can potentially make full houses or the board can double pair, uh, making a lot of full houses possible. Uh, so like you have to be aware and like pay attention to that because originally you'd want to go three streets with nine seven, but things can change. If it comes out, you know, deuce three. Perfect. Yeah, just keep betting. Uh, and the game plan works in your favor there. 
Uh, but I, you do have to pay attention to how those future cards will uh, change the relative strength of your hand. I was going to say, I think one of the things that's really important about how many streets of value we can get from a value hand is how deep the stacks are. Mm. So if we may not have stacks deep enough to bet three streets for proper sizing, we may be looking at two street hand where we're going to be all in on the turn. So um, that's another thing to that that may change how many streets of value we get. Great point. Rob? I think, well, a street of value will depend on whether your opponent can call you with hands that you're going to be ahead of more than 50% of the time. If they're, if they don't have hands that they can call you that you're going to be ahead of over 50% of the time, it's not really a street of value. So if you can bet all three streets, get to the river and say to yourself, well, my hand is going to be better than his hand 50% of the time or more, then you've gotten three streets of value. The, the thing is, you have to understand what your opponent is willing to call you with to determine whether you, you can get a street of value to begin with. So making a bet and winning is not a street of value. Uh, making a bet and getting called is a street of value if he's calling you with a worst hand. Yeah, so the concept of targeting is really important here. And I'm just talking specifically about value targeting. So value targeting is when we know the strength of our own hand and we're gonna make a bet that we hope to get called by a certain part of our opponent's range. So on 10-8-6, on, uh, for instance, we can make a value bet with ace-10 with top pair or top kicker and expect to get called by king 10 or by 10 nine or by a worse paired 10 or by a pair plus draw, something like that. Um, we're kind of value targeting another 10. If we get to the river and let's use one of the uh, boards that Taylor described where it's, it's come counterfeit uh, there's like four to a straight there, and there's three hearts now, let's say. Um, we're not necessarily going to be betting ace-10 top pair top kicker on a four straight uh, three flush board and expect our opponent to, when they do call, to have uh, the kind of range of hands that we're still beating with our one pair hand. So um value targeting and we talk about bluff targeting as well it's just the opposite of that when you're bluff targeting you're thinking okay i've got seven eight can i get this person to fold a better pair of sevens than mine um yeah it's just the opposite of that you're saying okay can i get my opponent to call with a slightly worse hand than i have here uh, chris yeah and i think that's where um the the question of like our our stack sizes, but also our bet sizing comes into play a lot. So uh, we might, if we had ace 10 on a 10, nine, eight, seven, two board with three hearts and it's on the river, we might bet ace 10, but we might bet it really, really small because we're, we're trying to get a worse 10 to call us. Right. So we're trying to get King 10, Queen 10, but King 10 and Queen 10 are also noticing this board. They're scared of it as well. So they're like 
they're going to call a small, really tiny bet that you throw out there, but they're not going to call some big giant bet. Um, and so we have to decide what we're doing with with these hands, whether we're trying to, um, you know, that's why the, the 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 concept of value targeting is so important. And that's why actually this this whole notion of streets of value is so important if we're starting to think about because what it means that we're doing and like I liked what Taylor said is like we are looking at the hand from the very beginning and we at least have it might change things might change dramatically but we're trying to come up with a vision for our plan by the time we get to showdown this is what our approach is going to be if things don't dramatically change that's sort of what the question of streets of value is is like what do I think I can kind of build or or accomplish with this hand if it doesn't get crazy if it gets crazy i'll figure it out so if you have ace 10 on this board on the flop are you thinking to yourself i have a three streets to value hand nope i'm not no way i think you got one street of value with that hand that you can you can get one street of value because the minute he calls all bets are off. Everything changes. Yeah, I mean, just uh, from to continue this, like I'm kind of viewing Ace Ten as like a two streets of value type of hand uh, in this spot: top pair, top kicker on a draw e board. Uh, but like the second street that I would be going for would be when a safe street comes in. Like if the turn is a deuce or the turn is a three or a four, uh, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, if the turn is a queen or a nine or a seven or another eight, now I'm like getting scared and I'm going, okay, do I want to go for another second street of value? And the answer is probably not, but let's see a river uh, and then decide that point. So that then it's kind of like, it, it's somewhere between a one or a two street value uh, hand, in my opinion. John. Well, what I was going to just say, remember, this is thinking about streets of value is just a thought tool. The goal is not to maximize the number of streets of value. If you wanted to do that, when you have top pair, top kicker, just bet one big blind every hand and you can probably get three streets of value just fine. But that's not maximizing your win. What it does do is it lets you think, okay, top pair, top kicker is only going to get you three streets of value in certain runouts. You have to be careful with that. You're not guaranteed. The average winning hand, if everyone goes to the flop, is going to be two pair in a hold'em hand. So if you don't have two pair, you can't be – well, even if you do have two pair, you can't be guaranteed you're going to get three streets of value. So you just have to be careful. And remember, this is a thought tool in order to figure out what is an appropriate amount of value and not to overplay your hand. Yeah. yeah and things, really is, no, please, please. I was just going to continue uh, the example where Rob and I are talking, you know, one street or two street, because things can change and go, you know, the other way too. Like we're talking 10, eight, six, and we've got ACE 10 and we're like, you know, I think it might be two. Rob might think it's one, but when the turn is another 10, uh, I'm guessing Rob's mentality is shifting and going, okay, this might be a three street of value hand. Uh, and then when the river's an ace and gives us a full house, then Rob's saying, heck yeah, it's a three street 
uh, value hand. So like it can go in our favor too, where we thought we were maybe going to be slowing down, maybe going for one or two, but then it ramps up and we're like, yep, this is three streets of value. Let's go for it uh, and bet the whole way. Yeah. So the run out obviously matters a lot when it comes to the relative strength of your hand. And I want to reinforce this point that Rob was making earlier. Um, when when they call that first bet, you have to really think about what that does to their range of hands that continue. Um, and if they call a second bet, if they call uh, your bet on the turn, now they've called two bets and getting to the river, you know, the range of hands that get to the river having called two bets is much, much, much stronger than the range of hands that gets there from just calling one bet or from just checking through and not being forced to uh, fold some of their range. So it really is very, very, uh, very, very run out dependent. And it's also opponent dependent. Some opponents are very sticky and they'll call you with second pair on three streets. And so if you've got top pair, you might exploit that leak of theirs by betting and getting called on all three streets if you know that that's the kind of mistake that that opponent's going to make. Other opponents are so tight that um, a hand that you might try and get three streets of value from someone else, you know that they're only actually going to pay the third one with the actual nuts. And uh, once they've called the first two, you might choose to check back. So the, the player type is another variable that we should be considering. Uh, Rob? Yeah, there's also a, a, another concept that if you are, um, if you have one of those types of hands that you feel that you could maybe get one street of value from, where are you going to, which street is it going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you may go for that street of value right away on the flop because there's going to be a lot of turn cards that could be very harmful for your hand. Whereas there might be the type of hand where you would prefer to get that street of value on the turn because now you have checked back and given that opponent the idea that he can now call with that second pair or third pair. Because, you know, you check back on a flop, let's say ace high and you got pocket queens or something like that. Um, So are you going to try to get that one street of value when that ace is on the board? And he's checked to you because the flow says check. Well, if you check it back, now he doesn't think you have a hand stronger than the one you have. And he's more apt to call you on that one street on the turn. So you got to kind of think about, and every time we talk about hands, when we do our hand histories, we talk about what does this person have that he can call with? What does this person have that he can call? We say that all the time. And if we can't come up with a hand that he can call with that we can beat, then going for a street of value is probably a mistake. Yeah. And I think I like the way that we're approaching this as kind of just like a a, a mental tool. I'm not sure exactly how John referred to it, but like it's just a way of thinking, a way of assessing the value of our hand. How strong is our hand really? given this board, this action, this player type. Um, Because you can, of course, you can have a hand, like let's say we had Ace-Jack on the 10-8-6 board. And, uh, or no, let's say we had Ace-5. And we chose to check back the flop because we didn't have a value hand. 
but the turn came a five and we checked back that. And then the river came a five. Well, now we obviously, we've got trips. Even though we felt like at the flop, we had zero streets of value. Um, now we get to the river. We, I think we can get called by a worse hand. So um, we can actually make a value bet there. So I, I, yeah, I don't want people to get locked into sort of, you have this assessment of your hand strength on the flop and then it's locked in like that. That's really not true. It is very, very uh, dependent on the run out. And I really like Rob's point as well about if you don't have a three street of value hand, choosing the streets that you're going to get paid on. And that might have to do with not only the strength of your hand, but the actual um, texture of the board. Like if you if your opponent has a lot of draws in their range and you've got a hand that you think is good for two streets of value on certain runouts, you're probably going to want those two streets to be the flop in the turn because on the river, the draws are either going to have come in or they're not going to have come in and your opponent's going to play perfectly. They're going to fold when they didn't come in and they're going to call when it did come in. So you, you know, betting flop, betting turn, checking back river is a pretty successful line uh, under those circumstances for other circumstances, uh, which I think Chris was getting at earlier, you might bet flop when, the, when you get called, depending on what turn comes out, you're like, Hmm, well, maybe they actually have a stronger hand here than we thought. Come to the river, see if uh, save river when they don't lead the river. Now you can feel like, okay, I can bet for a second street here. I can get a second street of value um, just based on my read of their hand range there. Uh, Kim? Uh, there's Sometimes we have the board so locked up that it's very, very unlikely that our opponent has anything. And we're not going to get three streets of value out of a hand like that. So sometimes it's better to, uh, like a hand that we have ace-king on ace-ace-deuce rainbow right there's it's so unlikely that our opponent has anything there that it's better for us to not think about getting three streets of value to get but think about getting one or two streets of value from that kind of hand just when it's impossible for our opponents to have much of anything yeah good point john yeah i was just going to mention one of the spots if you have a a strongish hand, but one that it could easily be dominated. Like, let's say you have a middling flush and you flop it. That's a case, and you're in position. It's important to have position here. You can then bet the flop, check behind on the turn, and if the person has you beat, they're very, very likely going to be betting out the river. They might be, um, they might bluff as well, but that's a way for you to get two streets of value without risking as much and, and uh, avoiding the check raise on the turn. Great point. And yeah, and I think um, I'm not sure technically within the definition streets of value can be attained by calling as well. You don't need to be the better necessarily to get a street of value. Um, so if you're inducing a bet by your opponent, that that bet is still going in and, and you're ahead. So that's a street of value for you. Um, gang, when we talk about like raises and stuff, how does that impact the terminology here? Is it just like adding another street 
um, of value or does the size of the raise matter or is it a completely different um, terminology point at all? If, if, it, if, a two street, if you bet on two streets and get raised on one, have you, have you, has a third street of value been achieved, I guess, in my question, is it, or is it something completely different, John? I think it's completely different because it completely changes the dynamics. You aren't looking – I mean, typically when you're going for three streets of value, it's against a passive opponent. Once mm-hmm. it's not a passive op- opponent, then you have to have a completely different thought process. Rob's yeah, I think I th- I think it it has to be a bet that's going to get called by a hand that's worse than yours. Otherwise, it's not a street of value. Um, I don't think calling is getting a street of value. I mean, okay. you're getting value obviously if you think you're ahead of the person that made the bet, but that's not how you're thinking about your hand. You're not thinking about your hand in terms of streets of value when you're calling. I think you're Thinking in the strength of your hand in terms of streets of value is based on you betting and getting called by a worse hand. That's the only way I've ever heard it being referenced before. I think you can get a street of value by inducing a bluff. Um, And the reason I say that is there are some times where you have a hand where you are probably not going to get called by a worst hand, but you very well might get bluffed by a worse hand. Well, that, then you're bluff catching. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's the way you are getting your second street of value. Right. Because, I mean, I understand what you're saying. You think of it as making a bet, but I think I consider a an induced bluff catch, particularly you're betting the flop, checking the turn, calling the river, and you're calling the river to get your second street of value because you think that's the most likely way, particularly against an aggressive opponent, that you are going to get that second street. So you're kind of you're you're uh, aiming to get a bet in. That's kind of like how you achieve the street of value. Let's say. Right. Uh, now, John, do you think? Uh, something makes me think that this comes from a limit background where uh, the bet sizes are kind of fixed and the the amount that you can wager is fixed. So we're all used to no limit hold'em. And so we have a lot of variety in bet sizes available to us. In fixed limit games, the number of bets is actually super important because you can't adjust the size of so the number of the bets becomes uh, really, really important when it comes to separating the good players from the great players in their win rates. Uh, I'm just kind of riffing here, John, but does that make sense to you? I know you play a lot of mixed teams. Does that seem to skew? Yeah, the thing with limit is you can't afford to check as often because, right. um, because it is a limit game, because you don't have an opportunity to make a bigger bet later to make up for some lost value now you have to bet more often likewise you aren't trying to induce action quite as often because there isn't the big as big of a risk the you know bet to pot ratio is usually much much smaller in limit so you're going to get called much more often not that you can't bluff there are lots of creative ways to do that but um I think the streets of value is really much more of a no limit thing. Mm. And in limit, you would look at it as 
how many bets can we get? Do I want to yes. induce the check raise type of thing? Yes. Uh, because people will, I mean, in limit games, you hear of people getting triple check raises in. <laughs> and that's something that just doesn't happen in no limit. Yeah. It's very interesting how the, the ability to bet uh, at a much bigger size changes the frequency with which you might choose to bet um, or the line you might take with that. Chris? Yeah, that, I was just going to say that's that's the holy grail. I've been double check raised in my life. I've never been triple check raised. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Personal challenge time. Yeah, I know. I, right, I, right I, I, I Like the times when I get double check raised, I'm like, come on, come on. This will be the time. <laughs> this will be the time. <laughs> well, uh, this I knew this was going to be kind of a hairy conversation. Um, because it's a very abstract concept. It's about terminology. There's a lot of kind of difficult, slippery concepts that are attached to it, like value betting and targeting and that kind of thing, relative hand strength. So uh, nothing pleases me more when we get a little disagreement here on the on the panel, because that means that we're getting closer to truth. So we've got Team Rob and Team John about what counts as a street of value uh if you if you're hearing this please if you're on twitter or facebook tag us at rec poker and share your thoughts on can a street of value be attained only by you making the bet or can you sort of manipulate other people into value betting themselves to death and putting that street of value in on your behalf as uh, as john recommends there so just a friendly Everyone's going to get along, okay? We're not drawing any blood here. Everyone, I'll, I'll buy everyone a beer in Vegas when I get down there. But I do like this idea because uh, we we all get along so well. We don't disagree that often, but let's make the most out of it and let's uh, let's see, Team Rob or Team John, let's get some hashtags. <laughs> let's see what what people have to say about that. Anybody needs um, something to help them decide? Just remember, John kicked my butt in Chinese poker between our poker sessions at the home game consistently. So I think John may know what he's talking about. Taylor. The, the last thing I'll add is um, we did do a seminar uh, about this about two years ago, uh, talking about betting patterns, betting lines, uh, which I think is an interesting discussion. So if you're a premium member, uh, March, of 2021 uh our seminar was on betting patterns so i'll just throw that plug out there if you want to go and kind of listen to us talk about different uh betting patterns because that kind of goes with this yeah that's a great call out um and i think there's an art to post-flop betting lines and betting patterns and there's sort of the your fluency in poker is aided greatly by your ability to kind of understand based on the action where your opponent is in their range whether they're going to be the person who calls a bet when they're behind or whether you can elicit um, a bluff or even a bad value bet like we're talking about them like they're bluffs but uh, a, a bad value bet by your opponent is just as as helpful to us and to our bottom line at that point too so um i think that's yeah so the way that we weaken our own range like it's just it's a really fun part of poker to be thinking about this kind of thing. Uh, so Marcel, I hope we scratched the surface and I, I didn't personally contribute too much bad information to the <laughs> debate tonight. Uh, gang, is there anything else that we should talk about when it comes to streets of value or value targeting or absolute versus relative hand strength or anything like that? 
doesn't look like it. So I just want to thank uh, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino for their support. Of course, uh, Rob Washam, Kim Kilroy, Taylor Moss, Chris Jones, and John Somsky for making all the magic happen around here with me. And you, the listeners, uh, we couldn't do it without you. So thanks for your support, and we'll see you next week here on the Rec Culture Podcast.